Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. According to a recent report, text messaging is now the most used data source in the world. As a matter of fact, how many of you would be honest and admit you've already sent at least one text message this morning, right? That's what I thought a large majority of us have already texted today. Well, you are not alone. Today, around the world, there will be 22 billion text messages sent. It happens every day on a global scale. That's over 15 million text messages every single minute of every single day around the world. So when you reach over and grab your phone, know that you are a part of a global movement. And the United States, we are more than doing our share. We are 4% of the world's population, and yet we represent 45% of the world's text messages. So I know that means some of you will have to text even while I'm preaching to be able to keep our pace up today. And yet this, this thing of text messaging that is now this major part of our lives that most of us cannot even fathom life without now has only been a part of our lives for the past 15 years. It's only been 15 years ago that the very first text message was ever sent. As a matter of fact, it was 15 years ago this month. 15 years ago this month, a man named Neil Papworth was working for a telecoms communication developing an SMS system for Vodafone in the UK. And he reached out to his friend named Richard Jarvis and sent the world's first text message, the first one that was ever sent. And here's what it said Merry Christmas. The first text message ever sent 15 years ago were two simple words, Merry Christmas. Well, long before Neil Papworth ever thought about texting the words Merry Christmas, there was another text that was given, another text that was sent to us by the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul. It's contained in the book of 1 Timothy. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open there. It maybe contains the most clear, concise, compelling description of the Christmas message found anywhere in Scripture. Paul writes it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. That word statement there is literally the word in the New Testament for the word message. Paul says, I'm sending you a message that you can believe. And here's the message, I have it highlighted. That, let's read this highlighted part together. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There it is. 
Let's say it again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I would encourage you today, if you're going to text somebody Merry Christmas, you might want to just include those nine words. Merry Christmas, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul closes it with, with these words, among whom I am foremost of all. Out of that simple little statement, that little text message, if you will, that Paul gave us, I want to share with you three reasons why we're celebrating today. Number one, Christmas is about a promise God made. The first word in Paul's message to us is the word Christ. He introduces Christ Jesus to us, and that is unique language to Pauline writing. Paul was the only New Testament writer and those under his influence that, that named Jesus this way. All the other writers call him Jesus Christ. And because of that, most people think Christ is Jesus' last name. But that is not true. Jesus is his name. Christ is a title. And so Paul introduces him with the title Christ and then gives you his name, Jesus. The word Christ is a word that means promised one. And this word Christ is the root of where we get our word Christmas from. Christ, the promised one. So Christmas is all about a promise that God made. Well, what is the promise that God made that has to do with Christmas? Well, to answer that question, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, we read of God's creation of the world. And the crowning point of God's creation was human beings. God made Adam and God made Eve, man and woman, as the crown of his creation. And when God created us as human beings, male and female, he created us for the purpose of knowing him and loving him and being loved by him. God made Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden to know him, to love him, and to be loved by him. And all of the rest of their lives was to be lived out of the overflow of their love relationship with God. It was their relationship with God that gave them meaning and purpose and significance and joy. And in the context of God creating them, he placed them in a beautiful garden. And God gave Adam and Eve freedom and dominion over all of the rest of creation. But that freedom and dominion that he gave them demanded that he also give them the freedom of choice. So God gave them one rule in the garden. I'll read it to you out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Look at it on the screen. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat from it you shall surely, say it out loud, die. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. God gave them freedom. God gave them dominion. God gave them everything they needed to enjoy life out of the overflow of a love relationship with him. But he gave them one rule. There's one tree. Don't eat of that tree. Well, you know how the story goes. We'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 3. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her. That's an important phrase. We often want to blame Eve, but Adam was standing right there letting her be the guinea pig. When she didn't fall over, he ate. 
Now, God said, when you eat of that tree, you're going to what? Verse 6 says they ate of the tree, so verse 7 must say they did what? Well, that'd be a real short story. (laughs) Then what does verse 7 say? Look at it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, this is important, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. you got to understand the context. God made Adam and Eve, and he made them as the crowning point of his creation. Us as human beings, they represented all of us. They were there in the garden every day with God. They walked in fellowship with God. They enjoyed oneness with God. The Bible describes this idea of the cool of the day, meaning this time of day when God would come daily into the garden and enjoy fellowship with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve lived their lives complete and whole, enjoying fellowship with one another and with all of creation out of the overflow of a love relationship with God. But then on that day, they ate from the tree, and God comes into the garden, and what they do? They hid from the presence of God. You see, when they ate of the tree, Adam and Eve did die. They died spiritually. Here's what that means. Adam and Eve, in that instant, lost the ability to have a relationship with God. The one that had made them. The one that gave them meaning, purpose, significance, value, joy, and life. When they took of that tree, when they disobeyed God, their sin separated them from God. That's what sin is. It's disobeying God. They disobeyed God, and their relationship with God was broken. They died spiritually. You say, Okay, that's Adam and Eve. That was a long, long, long time ago. What does that have to do with me today? Well, Adam and Eve represented us. Every one of us has has our life has come from Adam and Eve. We're all brothers and sisters that have been born from the tree of Adam and Eve. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, listen what he says about all of us. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men Because all sin. Here's what that means. When Adam and Eve died in the garden spiritually, we all died. We all lost the ability to have a relationship with God. And that's why now we're born into this world dead to God and alive to sin. We come into this world dead to a relationship with God. It's why people search for meaning and significance and value. Why is there that emptiness? Why is there that longing that there's got to be something more? Let me tell you why. Because there is something more. God made us for a relationship with himself. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, we all come into this world dead to God and alive to sin. You say, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, he gives us proof in the text. He says, the evidence is that we've all sinned. Let me ask you this morning, how many of you have ever told a lie? Let me see your hand. Hold it up. You're in church. It's all right. You can put them down now. I think it was everybody. If it wasn't everybody, you can raise your hand now. Let me ask you a question. Who who taught you how to lie? It just comes what? Naturally, right? I, I got a beautiful little granddaughter. She's five months old. She's as sweet as she can be. Her name is Karis, and 
I never forget the, the first night we got to keep her on a Thursday evening while our daughter was up here working with a worship team. Christian, I had her there on a Thursday evening, and I got to sit and hold her, and I, I sat there, and we sat down, and after a few minutes of sitting there, she let out this cry like I thought I had broken her. I thought something was wrong. I mean, it was this cry like, like, like something serious was going on, and she wasn't hungry. She wasn't tired, and here's what I figured out. She just didn't want me to sit down. She wanted me to stand up. Because as soon as I stood up and we walked around, she's fine. You know what she did as a, about a two-and-a-half-month-old baby? She lied. <laughs> she was saying to me with the sound of her voice, something is wrong with me. And there wasn't anything wrong with her. She just wanted her way. Let me ask you a question. Who taught a two-and-a-half-month-old to be deceitful? Here's the bottom line. That's how we come into this world. If you don't believe me, just hang out with a bunch of kids. You don't have to teach them how to share, how to, you don't have to teach them how to be selfish and how to grab somebody else's hair or how to punch or how to fight or how to lie. You got to teach them how to do all the right things, right? Why? Because we come into this world dead to God and alive to sin. And because of our sin, we've earned something else. Look at the screen. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is what? Death. The same thing Adam and Eve. Because of our sin, not only are we spiritually dead, dead to God, and not only does that mean that one day we'll all physically die, which was not God's original intent when he created us, but it also means that if we die physically, dead spiritually, then we're dead for all eternity, which means an eternity separated from God. Now, people would say, Pastor, surely in the 21st century, you're not telling me that you believe in a place called hell where people spend eternity separated from God. Well, here's what I am telling you. I believe the same Bible that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son is the same Bible that says those who do not believe in him will perish for all eternity. But here's the good news of Christmas. God loved us so much that in the garden, after Adam and Eve sinned, he made a promise. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Look at what it says. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. What did he do? The serpent was the devil himself embodied and he had deceived Eve and Adam. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Then listen to this, very interesting. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between, get this, your seed and her seed. Now, anybody who's ever had biology 101 knows that the woman does not supply the seed in procreation. What does it mean when God said at the very beginning, I will put enmity between 
your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. What is he talking about? Here's what God said. Sin entered into the world. Sin cost humanity's relationship with God. But God said, I love you so much that I'm going to make a provision. And I'm going to send one into the world through the seed of a woman. What does that mean? There's going to be one born into this world without the seed of a male father. There's going to be one come into this world who is going to be born of a virgin. And yes, you, Satan, will bruise him on the hill. We call that Calvary. When Jesus Christ was crucified for our sin, but he said to the serpent, he will crush your head. We call that Resurrection Sunday morning when Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. Christmas is all about a promise that God made. And all throughout the Old Testament, People believed in God's promise of a Messiah. Abraham believed in that promise. Isaac believed in that promise. Samuel, David, Isaiah, they all believed in God's promise that one day, one day, a Messiah would be born through the seed of a woman who would save us from our sin. Christmas is all about a promise God made. But secondly, Christmas is about a person who came. Did you hear it? Christ Jesus came into the world. One glorious day, this promise God made, he came into the world as a person. Jesus came just like God promised thousands of years earlier. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 1. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her, get this, is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph's not your child. This child is not coming through the seed of a man. The child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Paul said Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, came into the world. That little phrase, came into the world, is important too because the word came implies motion from one place to another place. It means he left one location and he came into a new location, meaning this, Jesus Christ was not created in time. Jesus Christ is God who always has been, who stepped out of time, took on humanity, and he entered the creation that he made. Where did he come from? I'll tell you where he came from. Eternity. That's why Paul writes of him in another text and he says, for in him all the fullness of God, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In the person of Jesus, God stepped out of eternity and entered time. The creator became a part of his creation to redeem that which he had made. Max Lucado said it this way. It all happened in a moment. In a most remarkable moment, God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. 
the omnipotent, in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched out against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. Christmas is about a promise that God made, but Christmas is also about a person who came. Jesus came as the fulfillment of that promise, but here's the best news I have for you today. Christmas is about people being saved. Did you hear what Paul said? Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Christ came into the world to save sinners. You see, he came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Why do we need to be saved? Because of our sin, we'd earn death. Because of our sin, the only way we could, the only way that our sin could be dealt with is an eternal death. And so either you and I go to hell for all eternity or an eternal one come and die once. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, look at it on the screen, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul, Paul had reached a point in his life when he realized he'd sinned against God. Paul had reached a point in his life where he knew the only hope he had was in the glorious coming of Jesus into the world. What are we celebrating today? That God made a promise to you that he loved you so much he would send a Messiah who would come into this world who could bring salvation to you. And that Messiah came in the person of Jesus Christ into this world to save sinners. But Paul closed with this statement, among whom I am foremost of all. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Jesus came to save sinners willing to be saved. You see, you still have a choice today. That choice is to come to the place in your life where you realize that you've sinned against God. And that this whole story of the Bible, this eternal redemptive arc of Scripture, is about God restoring and redeeming. And when I say saved, I don't just mean you get to go to heaven when you die. That's part of it and a great part of it. Amen? But here's another part of it. It means you get life today. Meaning, purpose, value, joy, significance. Everything that you're looking for is found in Jesus. Why? Because that's the way God created us to live. It happened for me. In September of 1989, I was a freshman in college. I'd heard the story of Christmas I'd heard the story of Easter. I could tell you the gospel with my mouth, but I'd never come to the place in my own life when I acknowledged my sin before God. And in September of 1989, in a small apartment in Florence, Alabama, I knelt down beside my bed there on a winter night and surrendered the control of my life to Jesus. 
I acknowledged to him that I had sinned against God, and I embraced Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of my life. And let me, what, let me tell you what happened in my life. God saved me. He came into my life. He gave me joy. He gave me meaning. He gave me purpose. He gave me value. He gave me significance, and he brought me peace. Why? Because he is the prince of peace. And the greatest message I can extend to you today on Christmas is the same God that saved Abraham and Isaac and Jacob by faith, looking forward to a promise of a Messiah. And the same God who saved Paul and myself, looking back on the coming of a Messiah, is the same God that today can save you if you will receive him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning all over the building. If you're here this morning, and like I was in September of 1989, you're looking for something more, I'm telling you where the something more can be found, and that is in the person of Jesus. You say, how do I receive this gift of salvation? How do I get in on what God's done for me? Well, it's very simple. It's simple because Jesus has already done everything in order for you to be saved. He died. He rose again. He came into this world. This morning, all you need to do is by faith admit that you've sinned against him and receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life. So with nobody looking around right now but me, if you've never come to the place where you've surrendered the control of your life to Jesus, but you're ready to do that right now, I want to invite you right where you're sitting to simply pray this prayer of faith after me. Now, it's not the words of a prayer that brings salvation. It's faith in the person of Jesus. But we can put our faith in him through prayer. So this morning as you sit there, if you've never been saved and today you are ready to receive Jesus and be saved, then simply pray this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that my sin separates me from you. But I know that you loved me. And I know from the Bible that you promised to send someone to save me. And I believe today that that someone is Jesus. That he came into the world, that he died on a cross for my sin, that he rose again from the dead. And I confess my sin to you, and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, with nobody looking around this morning but me, if you just prayed with me for the very first time in your life and have given your life to Jesus, you've believed in Jesus, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out and make you do anything you don't want to do. But if you just prayed with me for the very first time to receive Jesus, I want to pray for you. And so I can know to pray for you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. With, with nobody looking around but me right now, if you just prayed with me, and ask Jesus to save you for the very first time. Would you just 
put your hand up, and then you can put it right back down. Just put it up, put it right back down. God bless you. Thank you. Somebody else? Just put it up, put it right back down. God bless you. Somebody else? God bless you. Before I pray for you, if you just prayed with me and you've given your life to Jesus, when we close our service in just a moment, Pastor Travis is going to give you some instruction about something that we'd love for you to do because you didn't just make a decision today. You just began a new journey in your relationship with Jesus. You've just begun a new journey that you're going to be walking on, and we want to come alongside you and walk with you as a family of faith. God, I thank you for these this morning that have indicated a new relationship with you. God, I pray right now that the peace of God would flood their soul. Lord, I pray that right now the meaning and the spirit and the joy of Christmas would just overwhelm them. And Lord, today we all thank you for the message of Christmas. And God, I pray that all of us would share this message with someone during this season. God, thank you for salvation. Lord, I pray for these that have been saved this morning. Fill them. Empower them. Give them assurance right now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.